Thanks to that piece of shit, Lieutenant, that's always uh, on his podcast. Bash us, fuck him. <laughs> Outstanding. All right, everybody. How you doing? I'm Eric Dim, your most complaint cop, NYPD. This is 265 Police Live, brought to you by New York's Finance Retired Unfiltered Podcast. Along with me is John McCarry, retired lieutenant, piece of shit. Lieutenant, how you doing, brother? What's going on? I'm good, bro. It's nice and early in the morning for me. I'm back in Sunshine, Florida. Where are you, Eric? I tell you what, I'm trying to adjust to the, to the time. I'm completely jet-lagged. Right now, it's 11 hours later. I'm in Bangkok, Thailand. Place is great. Awesome. I recommend everyone visit it. Great time here. Beautiful. Yeah, it's awesome. I just I just got back to Florida. No change in time zone. So I'm on my normal schedule, back in my gym, <laughs> back in, in my now home. I was in New York City for the month. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to Alt Flags. If you see the flag behind me, Anthony from Alt Flags. He's an active law enforcement officer. Great guy. He does custom work, as you can see. Uh, he also does wooden crosses. So if you guys are, are looking for a wooden, any type of flag, uh, it doesn't just have to be police, fire, anything. Kid does great work, and he's a great person. I highly recommend using him. I think the flag looks awesome. I'm looking at it right now in the background. It looks outstanding. His work is definitely on point. I, I can see the craftsmanship. It looks fantastic. Yep. I'm. Uh, what's it called? I, uh, I met up with him when I was in Staten Island. Uh, great guy. We had a long conversation. Uh, definitely like-minded individuals. And, you know, I, I wish him well. So if you guys are interested in getting a flag, go on Instagram. Go to Alt Flags, A-L-T Flags, at A-L-T Flags. And like I said, he does custom work. I also met up with uh, Poor the Finest while I was in uh, Staten Island, too. Uh, I had a, I had a dinner with them, uh, with, with, the, with the, one of the, the founders. And uh, I was able to get their new roast, which I'm drinking right now. Uh, which is very awesome, um, and I highly recommend that too. Another law enforcement-owned business. They donate proceeds to to uh, to charities that help NYPD families. Outstanding, outstanding. Well, here we are, two sixty-five Police Live. We got John McCarry, the founder and co-host of the podcast. John, let's get right into it. Let's talk about this phenomenon that's going on right now with arresting and collaring cops. It's not just an NYPD problem. This is this is a phenomenon that's happening in the entire country right now. So let's just get right into it. Tell me your thoughts. I mean, you know, it I think I think mainstream news where we see it the most is in New York City. So it I, I think it we're seeing it most in the NYPD. We're seeing it most in the borough of Manhattan, but that does not mean we've seen it in the Bronx. We're gonna see it in Queens and we're gonna see it in Staten Island. This is a new phenomenon that's popping up. We just recently had a NYPD officer uh, Provenzano who was arrested, who was indicted and arrested for assault three. I mean, I just on that terms alone, I, I have a big problem with that. He was indicted for a misdemeanor assault. Eric, what are your thoughts on the fact that we would indict a police officer on assault three? for an on-duty incident during a violent struggle. It's interesting that you say that. So I want to circle back because I'd like to highlight the PBA, particularly Pat Hendry, had spoken out recently and indicated that intrusive police work, 
Pro, proactive police work is dead for police officers. The police officers cannot engage in proactive police work anymore because it may lead to their arrest. Now, I will say, he's right about that. However, what, what he failed to say is that police officers completely are, it's dead from the job completely. They can't do any type of police work. It's not just a truce of police work. Even when times were good and police officers were getting support, intrusive police work, there was always a fine line, a gray area that police officers had to walk. They had to be savvy and understand case law because there's a difference between committing a crime and actually using the legality to detain and stop persons of interest, right, to do proactive police work. But what we have here is a new phenomenon where you're almost playing dice, you're playing blackjack, you're at the casino, and you're getting summoned to a 911 call, and you may get that unlucky call for the day, and that call leads to your arrest. Do you agree on that? Thousand percent. It's like Pat Hendry's right. Police officers can't engage in proactive police work, but they can't engage in police work at all. Because what we're seeing is the last two indictments we've seen by NYP, for NYPD officers come where they respond to a 911 call. And as a result of the, the suspect's actions, they are now engaged into a violent struggle and the actions that take place are being heavily scrutinized on the part of the officer when the suspect's actions are are like they, they're not being held accountable for it whatsoever. Officer Provenzano uh, was that was uh, responded to a 911 call two years ago, mind you, two years ago. He was just indicted 10 days ago. He was, this this incident took place two years ago at an Apple store where the defendant was he responded to an emotionally disturbed person. The defendant was being disorderly. He was actually inside of the Apple store where they asked him to leave. So that's actually a trespass as well. But they deemed him an emotionally disturbed person. When you're emotionally disturbed, the chances for violence are very high for anyone that's not a cop. I mean, it, it's a scary situation. The person is not in their right mind. They dealt. They tried to de-escalate, even though, again, none of us are ever told how to de-escalate. And it's mine and Eric's contention, as we spoke before, that de-escalation is, is, in essence, bringing that to a close successfully, that incident successfully to a close as quickly as possible. So now we're here for 45 minutes, emboldening someone who's, who's, who's not in their right mind. And when he attempted to physically remove him after 40 minutes um, and, and to overcome what he believed when Officer Provenzano believed he was going to be insulted, he struck the suspect with a closed fist. He caused no injury to the suspect. So, Eric, if I strike you with a closed fist and I cause you no, in, 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 I cause you no injury by the penal law, what is that charge? Exactly. That's what's interesting about this case, right? You and I both know just on the service that's a harassment. It's not even assault. It's paperwork. It's not even arrest situation. But what's interesting about this phenomenon is that anytime we see on camera police officers use any type of force, particularly when it comes to deploying strikes, it's an immediate outrage when it comes to civilian complaint review board, when it comes to district attorney's office. But what's interesting about this case, there never was a civilian complaint actually filed. Obviously, that's that's the uh, you, you and I talk about this uh, offline. And that's what I want the cops to understand, particularly the cops that are out there right now, especially the public that's watching this. The ultimate goal, John and I have spoken about this, is not to lead to an actual imprisonment, because in most cases, and, and I hope we're still at this point in America, 
most likely he will not get actually convicted. I mean, it's getting scary right now. We can't guarantee that. But most likely, based on the evidence and based on the case itself, he will not be convicted. But he will be convicted by the Civilian Complaint Review Board. And what will that lead to? The ultimate goal is civil liability. And ultimately, it could lead to his, deter his termination because of the disciplinary matrix. That's the problematic issue here. Before we get to the CCRB, though, I think we need to highlight like what's actually happening in the DA's office, right? So we have an officer who's indicted and arrested for an assault three when if they acted outside of the scope of their employment, they committed a harassment. I don't believe that Officer Provenzano acted outside of the scope of his employment. I believe he acted in accordance with his training. We are allowed to throw a punch first, not only as police officers, but as civilians, if someone approaches you in an aggressive, threatening manner, I mean, you don't have to sit there to wait to be struck. As a matter of fact, if you do, you're a moron. Um, I'm not going to wait to get struck in my face. I mean, I don't I don't like to fight. I'm not I'm not someone that, that likes to be in fights, but I have struck somebody in the face first. And I will if I'm approached in a threatening manner because I'm not waiting to get hit. And I would do that out of fear to overcome an assault. So what we're being told is, what we're being told by this indictment is, you cannot strike someone unless they strike you. I think it's a further demasculization of the of the NYPD, an emasculization of the NYPD. Excuse me. We're further removing the the masculinity out of police officers. We're saying, do not engage physically with suspects. It's it's going to lead to even more incidents of violence, as we've been seeing more incidents of resisting arrest. Um, Eric, and my point with the DA was my point with the DA is, is this, right? They're trying to plead him down to a, a harassment charge, which in fact it actually is. So he shouldn't even be plead down to a harassment charge. He should have never even been indicted in the first place. Even if he acted not in accordance with his training, he should be disciplined by the NYPD. This should not be a case for the DA's office. Um, disciplined or maybe even terminated by the NYPD. But what happens if he accepts that plea deal for harassment? Well, that's that's why I think it's important what I had, I had said earlier, right? That that goes back and, re, and is reflective of what we're saying now. And so that's why I want the public to understand that. So that's the ultimate goal, right? It's my opinion that most likely it would be pretty much nearly impossible to actually be convicted of assault in this particular case. And I think the ultimate goal is that if there is a charge here and he's he's convicted or there's a plea agreement, right, for harassment, that could be weaponized and utilized with the disciplinary matrix to seek out his termination. And ultimately, it will be held up as civil liability as he will be convicted of a civilian complaint review board. So this is twofold. He's going to be attacked by a civilian complaint review board, and he's also going to be attacked uh, by a civil lawsuit. So he's facing two fronts here. And that's the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is not to actually seek his imprisonment. It's to hit his pocket and to make him unattractable for any employment ever once he leaves the, the police department and this will be on his 58 it will be a state forever and that's the problem with this now i, I let's just circle back to one more thing john i was a special operations lieutenant you were an anti-crime sergeant and you and i both know sometimes you would have to seek out i cards right what is an i card intelligence card someone that is wanted is probable cause to seek out arrest and what do we know about those i cards particularly when it comes to a misdemeanor arrest Usually, 
there, the statute of limitations are 18 months. That we don't seek out an arrest after 18 months. And here, this case was two years ago. That I find extremely problematic. I, th- I think the whole thing's problematic. And and again, I think that you're 100% on target. If So, I mean, just, just think about it this. You're an on-duty police officer. You act within the scope of your, your, your employment. You act in your training. You respond to a 911 call. You have to deploy force. The DA's office is now coming after you for your training. Your union's backing you. Pat Hendry's messaging is 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 a lot better than Patrick Lynch's. I'm happy that they did the rally. I'm sorry I was unable to attend. I had a prior engagement that day, uh, but I did, did support. I did support the messaging, and I so and I supported everything that that's going on. But I think it needs to be even stronger. I think there needs to be a slowdown as far as generating tax revenue for New York City until our police officers are respected again. Because what's being happening now is now Officer Provenzano is being put in a position. Does he accept this plea deal and move further with his life? Now, if he accepts the plea deal, yes, I'm guilty of harassment. I'm guilty. I committed the wrong thing, right? Now I'm open for civil liability, personally, right? The New York City Corporation Council will not indemnify me. And I just gave the court basis i gave i gave the ruling that will find me guilty in ccrb which could lead to my termination like eric's saying and will lead to civil liability that i'm personally liable for so this is why me and eric are saying that yes new york city council voted to defund qualified immunity but they actually didn't because our, our qualified immunity comes federally right but this is how new york city's circumventing qualified immunity. And this is how New York City and the progressive movement is continuing to further strip police of their ability to actually keep New York City residents safe. Well, at this point, it's impossible to be a New York City police officer. It's impossible to do your job. Again, as a special operations lieutenant, an anti-crime sergeant, an active cop, same thing with you, John. Being out there in the field in the, sh- in the streets, we understood doing intrusive police work, proactive police work is walking a fine line, right? Ten percent of the job was doing ninety percent of the work to get these firearms off the street. And when you engage in that type of police work, you're always at some type of, of risk. There's some extreme scrutiny, and the entire job is self-initiated. So you really have to understand the law. So it's very particular. But now this is the new phenomenon. This is the scary part: is the cops are responding to nine one calls. And it's a, it's, a, it's a roll of the dice. It's a luck of the draw. You may get that 911 call. That's a bad call. And when I say it's a bad call, because of the scrutiny, and they completely do not understand de-escalation. To stand and to deal with an adversary for 45 minutes is absolutely ridiculous. In 45 minutes, we're given the adversary, the person of interest, the subject, a potential violent perpetrator, 45 minutes to think, to plan about their Exit. They have two options, fight or fight. The police officer has to come to a solution. And so they completely do not understand de-escalation. And again, de-escalation in most cases is actually to put that person in handcuffs immediately and bring that situation to a quell. A thousand percent. I mean, and, and what, is, what are the ramifications on public safety now when you have 10 cops, two supervisors, you have basically half of the people on the street, if not all of the people on the street serving that community that day, dealing with that one incident for 40 minutes. 
How many 911 calls are coming in from that one precinct at that same time? I mean, these are all people that are going to be put on the back burner until this incident is quelled. We're not looking at every every scenario as as an overall, as the overall well-being of New York City or the overall well-being of public safety in New York City. We're saying the police should never make you feel bad and they should never raise their hands to you. We should be struck, spit on. We should be assaulted. And we, it should take as long as you feel okay when you're ready to get yourself in handcuffs. This is not public safety. This is the message New York City is doing. They're trying to emasculate the NYPD further than it already is. And this is why crime is rising. This is why they're having a recruitment problem in the NYPD. This is why officers are leaving way too early before their time. Well, absolutely. The other problem with this, okay, you said it, you just said it, is that the police officers cannot use any force. And what they don't understand, again, they suffer from the Dunning-Kruger effect, and they think that two police officers were handling this particular incident. And I've talked about this on numerous podcasts. Anyone that's actually done legitimate police work, anyone who's a cop out there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's not one person that you're dealing with, one adversary. It's one entire incident. And this particular incident, it could take 20 cops. It could take two cops to watch the door. It could take two cops to stop the pedestrian traffic. It could take two cops to watch people that potentially could throw things at them from a, from a, a, higher, a higher spot, a higher roof, something like that. So it's one entire incident. And again, we could be holding up 20 cops. 20 cops could be taking part in this particular incident, especially in the diminished police department as we speak, and are not responding to other locations. And that's what they don't understand. We need to move quick, especially in New York City and in Petropolis, where it's constantly evolving and it's moving. We need to move quickly to get things done. Just like Mayor Adams says, get stuff done. That's what the police have to do. They have to get stuff done. And the New York City Council has completely impeded the New York City police officers from doing their job and acting on public safety. I mean, I think that's a fair point. I, I think that's something overriding in the back of every officer and especially in a police supervisor's mind, right? If there's a big scene, if something's going on, there's an arrest to be made. People are stopping, watching this scene. More people are coming. Some people are in support of the police. Some people aren't in support of the police. But overall, what's the goal? What have we always been taught, Eric? Get them get them under arrest and get out of there, right? If, if there's times where we need to do a show up, where we need to bring a witness to identify the person, and there's a crowd gathering, what were we taught? We were taught, put that person in your car, put it over the radio to, to your supervisor or to the other car that, hey, we have to get out of here. Let's do a show up at a different location. This location is not safe. We hear in police work for years, right? John, you and I hear it all the time. Sometimes time is on your side, right? You're the police officers. No one is better at, at moving people and controlling situations than the NYPD, right? You and I have been very critical about things that are going on with the NYPD. But I will say we, we do speak out the truth. There is no one better, no better organization at moving people and controlling situations than the NYPD. Police departments throughout the entire world come to watch the NYPD to see how the NYPD handles mass mobilizations, how they handle concerts, handle New Year's Eve, large-scale crowds. So there's no one better at doing that. 
And there's no one better than NYPD than closing situations and coming to solutions. But the New York City Council has completely inhibited, inhibited the police department from doing that. And what they don't understand is the powder keg. And if we give situations time to build up, it's like when you respond to a fire and the fire goes to combustion. That's what happen, happens here. It has to be put out immediately. Otherwise, it's a metropolis. We can have five people outside, five people in the store. And next thing, once this job unravels, we can have 100 people involved. And now it's a completely volatile situation. And now it's, who is it not safe for anymore? For the cops. But that's why I think the New York City Council doesn't even care. It's not about public safety for the cops. It's not even about public safety for the community. It's about abolishing the police. 100%. Hundred percent, and we're uh, we're doing a nice, finest, unfiltered line of limited edition defund the police Barbie dolls. First one was Justin Brannon. I think our second one that's going to come is OC Che. OC Che, we're gonna we're gonna put out on social media limited edition defund the police OC Che Barbie. Uh, we had a little interaction back and forth. I invited him on the podcast. He won't come on because he has no public safety platform because he can't even articulate his own thoughts about why he wants to get rid of SRG, why he believes in apologizing the police, what his platform for public safety is. Um, and, you know, so instead of, instead of being exposed, they'll just continue to, to pull their rhetoric. But I'm looking forward to unveiling that. I'll talk to Eric. I'll talk to Alamo. I'll talk to Paul to see what's the best way to do that um, so that, you know, it, it, it's time that these people are exposed. It's time New York City understands who they are voting for. When you vote for this person, you are voting against public safety. You are voting for more crime. You are voting for uh, a lessened quality of life. You know, again, I'd like to go back to where we talked about earlier podcast that what I've heard from other police officers and other cops through text messages and through conversations that I've had, that cops should still be held to a higher standard. And I said, I agree, but here's the problem. What is the standard? We have bail reform. We have raised the age where we have violent perpetrators being arrested, repeat offenders that walk in the streets They've been involved in gun violence where they're hurt others. They're, these people are, are, are an attack of the community. They're dangerous to the community, and they're out in the streets. And here we have a police officer. And let's, let's just play devil's advocate. Let's say he was completely wrong, and he did assault this person, which I don't agree. But let's say he did. Again, what's the standard? To seek out an indictment on a misdemeanor charge. Also, it's my understanding, and I'll do the research again before I say it, that the statute of limitations for a misdemeanor assault is 18 months. At least I know that's what it would take to seek out a misdemeanor assault on an intelligence card, an I-card. So i like to look. I want, uh, before I give an actual answer on that, I'm going to look it up, but I'm pretty confident about that. So what is the standard? Is the standard to arrest cops? What are your thoughts on that? Again, I... I the standard is we're going to follow the law, right? It's not, if you want to say that I should get the higher, if, you know, if a charge carries, um, whatever, two months in jail to two years in jail, the future, if you want to say that police officers should get that higher standard because they, they are given so much authority and so much power, I, I could buy that. But what we're seeing here is that we're arresting someone for a crime that they didn't commit. The actions 
do not match the crime. That's like me arresting you. Oh, you're a bad person. You're a bad person. You did this. So I'm just going to charge you whatever I want to charge you with, even though that's not what happened. You did not you did not strike someone and cause injury. You did not, whether it was recklessly or not recklessly, there was no injury sustained. It's harassment. So if Officer Provenzano, and again, I, I'm going to reiterate what Eric said, I do not believe that that's, this is what happened. I believe I, I believe Officer Provenzano acted in accordance with the law, with his training, with department policy, right? I believe he did those things. But let's say he did it. If he did not do that and he struck this individual for no for no reason and he caused the individual no reason this is not a district attorney matter this is harassment this is for the nypd to fix this is for the nypd to discipline or terminate him or retrain him whatever they decide this is not up for alvin bragg to decide so again there is no standard the standard is we don't like cops we don't want cops we're showing everyone and we're deterring our our, our younger cops and the older cops from doing their job. Alison, I think you made a fantastic point. Uh, well, here's the other problem, right? So this is what I this is what I want to reflect on. So there's a standard, right? I believe there should be a standard, right? And cops should be held to a higher standard. But how we investigate these cases and how we lead to an indictment or how we actually charge in, in cases, there is a standard. But the standard in the investigation, what we see is if an, a, an average citizen or a violent perpetrator, a repeat offender, an adversary that we know of, that we have particular knowledge of, if there was a case in this particular matter where an adversary known to the police department punched another person in an Apple store, if the case was two years old, I highly doubt that it would be pursued and lead to an indictment. Even if it was 10 days old, I, in most cases, there probably would not be a charge. If anything, it would be dropped as a harassment right there. There would be a report. It would be classified and filed. But when it comes to a police officer, that's complete far reach to find a way to have this person indicted. That's the problem I have. It's completely different standard and how we get how we meet the pathway and leading to an arrest. I believe there should be a standard when it comes to conviction. If a police officer and an everyday citizen commit the same crime and they're both convicted for the same crime, yes, a police officer should face a higher punishment and penalty because it's understood that they had a badge of honor and that they understand their responsibility and bare amount, extreme amount of power. However, when it comes to the investigation and the pathway to the case and actually being charged, I believe that should mirror each other. What do you think's going on inside a cop's heads right now in New York City, particularly as they respond to 911 calls and they get there and they see a suspect who's agitated, acting aggressively in a violent and tumultuous behavior? What do you believe the thoughts of the men and women in the New York City Police Department are now knowing what just happened to Officer Provenzano? Well, I think some of the cops are going to be offended by what I said. I think there's two type of cops as we speak right now. There's one cop, he's walking his beat, he's on patrol, or he's doing intrusive police work, and he's saying to himself, damn, 
Will I be unlucky? Will I be next? But then there's the other cop. And unfortunately, it's the majority of the police department. And I know it based on the conversations that I've had in particular cases. Even in this case, I had some conversations. And what some of the cops have said to me is, well, there must be something else. There must be something else. Because they don't want, they don't want to believe that this can happen to them. So ultimately, I believe that this type of cop that I'm talking about, at least it won't happen to me. No matter what, it won't happen to me. They must have done something different than I would do. And that's the problem. Do, do you agree on that? Thousand percent. One, they're, they're throwing blame on the officer automatically. One thousand percent. Because they don't want to acknowledge the reality. Reality is a horrible thing, right? I mean, I can even go back on the on the vaccine mandate. People justify that in their head. And they're like, oh, well, you're fine. You're doing fine. Everything's fine. CCRB is not that bad. Eric's fine. Eric, Eric just did his job too good. That was all. That's what happened. So people justify that. But I also think that there's there's a cop. You know, I, I think that the cop that goes out there and puts the NYPD on his back and puts public safety on his back, those are the guys that are going to get hurt today. The better police officers, the the 10% of the job that does 90% of the work. Those are the guys that see what's going on, but it doesn't matter because you talk about it all the time. You're a cop. When you're out there and you see something, you're going to do something. It is what it is. That's who you are. It's in your blood, right? When you see something wrong, you're going to do it. Even though he got screwed 15 times, even though he's got a million CCRBs lingering, he wants to do the right thing because he's he's conscientious. He or she's conscientious. They want to be good at their job. They want to they they know what a police officer should do, exactly what the public thinks a police officer should do. And they do it. But because they do it, they're going to get hurt. But then there's the other cop that's like, well, I'm just not going to do anything. I'm just not going to do anything. Let some idiot like Eric Dim go do it or John McCary, and I'll stand off to the back. Let them have that fight and they'll deal with it. I'm just not going to do that. I'm just going to stand there and wait for my sergeant and the, the sergeant's going to wait for their lieutenant and the lieutenant's going to wait for the duty captain. And this is the culture that we're cultivating. We're breeding more of this. So that 10% that used to do 90% of the work is probably about 2% now. And and I and honestly, this is what they're being instilled. Remember when they removed cowardice from the patrol guide? Oh, it doesn't matter. You could do anything. We'll never charge you with cowardice. We'll never question your actions for not taking action, which I believe is a terrible standard because there are times when police officers need to take action particularly what we've seen in Uvalde while children were being murdered and police officers stood there for an hour and, and, and contemplated back and forth what they were going to do as you heard children being murdered. You know, so that there should be a charge of cowardice. It should actually be followed with criminal charges. I like to reflect back. I remember when I was interviewed by the city. Uh, John, you were interviewed by them several times. And they had asked about my style of police work, the way I was doing police work, especially after I was coined as the most complaint cop and my name was smeared throughout different papers. And what I said, I said, they asked me why in, in some of my civilian complaints that there were force cases and it was from deploying strikes. And it's an unfortunate, it's an ugly scene, but in many cases it's necessary. The firearm, obviously, that's a last resort. The taser, in many cases, it's not applicable. The taser is very, is effective 
when we have distance and we're working in a metropolis and we're working in, in an Apple store, we're in close proximity and there's, there's a large crowd of customers. A taser is not going to be effective in close proximity. What the public doesn't understand is we need distance so that the prongs, two prongs, enter both different locations of an adversary, right? Usually a diagonal point. We want to enter a shoulder and a leg. But in order to have an electric current going to the body to immobilize someone. So if we're in close proximity, that's going to be ineffective. We don't want to use a baton either, especially in a case like this in a store where we may recklessly hit someone else. So there's numerous factors. And that unfortunately, sometimes deploying a strike is the most effective tool to de-escalate a situation and to get your adversary in cuffs. And what I see from this is we're going to retract from that. We've already done that. Most police officers are timid from deploying strikes because of the appearance on camera of how it's going to look. And you may end up in a situation as this. So it's the most effective, in many cases, the most effective tool, but they're not going to use it. And what do we see? It becomes a dance. Cops are, just as we saw in transit, you and I did a podcast. The cops are wrestling with someone. Their hands are not really committed to them. They're afraid of diaphragm law. They're afraid of using all these other tools. And now they're afraid to deploy a strike. So what are they left to, what are they left to do? They're playing hot potato. The cop waits for the sergeant. Sergeant waits for the lieutenant. Lieutenant waits for the captain. And nothing gets done. Public safety is at risk. Absolutely. And, and, and in this scenario, right, it's a little different from the prior indictment that we had that uh, uh, Bragg's office indicted an officer uh, several weeks ago for an incident where the officer was attacked. The officer was attacked. He deployed a sh he deployed strikes, several strikes. I mean, you're dealing with an unruly, uh, an unruly um, suspect. He asked the suspect to sit. His partner went to move the car. When his partner moved the car, he looked to tell his partner something, and the, and the suspect attacked the officer, put him in a headlock. The officer started deploying strikes. because be, And now, uh, is, is that okay now? Are we allowed to deploy strikes even when we're attacked? Because Greg's saying we can't deploy strikes. We can't deploy strikes prior. This, would, this is, this is the, the, the message that's being sent out prior to being attacked. But this officer was attacked. Right. So now his he, he's under attack. His cortisol levels raise. Right. His tunnel vision goes. He deploys strikes. And in one of the strikes, he knocks the defendant out, puts the defendant in custody, brings the defendant to the hospital. Um, and Alvin Bragg indicted him as well. So and that's all on camera. But uh, we, again, we hear oh, there must be more to the story. There must be more to the talk. The more to the story is. That if you are not in an inside gig, if you are not in an investigative position, if you are not running around with a three-star chief and you have very strong ties into this police department, you are up. You are up and you will be pushed in front of this bus. When it's time for you to be indicted, nobody's going to stand for you. Not Pat Hendry, not nobody. He'll put a little show on because he knows that if he doesn't. There's some people out there that are going to give them bad press now and call out exactly what the unions should be doing. But other than that, what is being said to stop this, abolish the police and to further emasculate the NYPD? What is actually being done? He had a small rally. What else is happening? Well, I, I just like, before we go into that, I just want to start back and, and say that the district attorney, these politicians clearly don't understand the violent confrontation. 
I mean, God bless that they don't understand the violent confrontation. I don't understand what type of lives that they've lived there in New York City their entire lives, that they would never never engage with some potential confrontation, especially living in a metropolis. Let's take out being a police officer out of the situation. John, answer me this. And I know what your answer is going to be, but I want you to say it for the public so that they understand. And this, this is not rehearsed. If you were in a self-defense situation, and I want the public to understand, this is not the movies. This is not a movie. This is not a show. If you're in a self-defense situation, are you going to give a potential adversary the opportunity to strike you first for you to defend yourself to overcome that aggression? Absolutely not. Once someone has committed in a violent and tumultuous behavior and invades my space and is in striking distance, I will strike them whether I believe that I could overcome their assault or not. Because I'm going to hit them first out of fear, out of fear of what's going to happen to me if I don't. And, and that to me is self-defense. And that to me is, is, is going to keep you safe. Chances are, if they don't back off at that point, or even, even at, at, if they could tell that you're willing to strike them by them coming into your distance, chances are they back off. Because most people, even people who act in a violent, tumultuous behavior, do not want to be in a physical fight. Most people. But I will strike you first, whether I think you could kick my ass or not, because I don't want I don't want I don't want to fight. But I have no choice. You're leaving me absolutely no choice. My, my first choice is to strike you in the face as hard as I can and hope that that deters you from a further attack. Yeah, again, this just completely solidifies that Alvin Bragg, our, our politicians, our legislative body, particularly the New York City Council, Civilian Complaint Review Board, the investigators at Civilian Complaint Review Board, don't understand the nomenclature of a violent struggle. Anyone that's ever taken part in, in martial arts or self-defense program, I myself would teach self-defense to, to the NYPD explorers to understand that to risk being struck as a first opportunity for you to take action is, is a fool's errand. Because, John, you, you know it. It's happened to me. If you're struck directly in the nose, your vision gets completely blurry. You can't see you get disoriented. This is not the movies. That one punch could meet to your demise. Now, let's go one even further here. You're a police officer. You're carrying a firearm. If you're struck in the face, particularly in the nose, and your eyes are blurry and you can't see and you're disoriented, guess what? What's up for grabs? Your firearm. And if your firearm's up for grabs, <clears throat> that firearm can be removed to kill you and to kill someone else. So, again... They suffer from the Dunning-Kruger effect. They completely don't understand the nomenclature of a potential violent struggle. And I would advise anyone in a self-defense situation, especially a police officer, that if the struggle is getting to the point that you are going to be struck, you strike first. I mean, and that's and, – and you're not – like in, in my head, I'm not even worried about the punch per se, right? Mm -hmm. I am worried about getting knocked out. I'm worried about getting my nose broke. I got a big nose. It's already crooked. I don't need to, I don't need this thing messed up any more than it already is, you know, but, but, but like, seriously, you have to be able to perceive that situation perfectly. Someone's approaching you in a fast, violent manner. How do I know that they don't have a little, a little knife in their hand? They're not going to stick me in my throat. 
How do I know they're not going to just stop stabbing me? How do I know that I perceive that situation perfectly correct at that moment in time? Because what's being removed from all the messaging from these elected politicians and these progressives is that cops are human, right? Cops have bad days. Cops are tired. They're very tired now because they're getting no days off. They can't take a day off. They can't take lost time. They're constantly being ordered overtime. They're constantly being ordered to stay past their tour. So they're tired. They're not perceiving things correctly. They're hungry. They're stressed out. Their stuff's going on at home. You may not perceive that situation correctly. You, you could probably think that someone's coming up to punch you in the face, but maybe they're coming up to stab you. Maybe they're coming up to stick something in your eye. Maybe they're coming up to shoot you and you didn't see it in their hand. You know, um, and and, you know, and just and even on perfect days, people perceive things differently. There was a scenario where we had locked up. Uh, we had locked this guy up. We had done a search warrant. We had arrested him twice prior with a firearm uh, one time prior with a firearm. We did a search warrant on his home. And now we got a, we recovered a firearm and we recovered a raw medicine that came from a pharmacy, which had just been burglarized. Right. So he had that in his house. Um, he's out again, the defendant, and he is now wants to kill himself. He's an EDP. He's running around. We encounter him while people are saying he's running. He has a huge butcher knife in his hand. Me and my partner both encounter him. He's within distance where he could strike me. I pull my fire on on him and I'm like, drop that fucking knife. Or I'm going to shoot you. Drop the knife. He drops the knife, gets down. We handcuff him. We put him in there. Um, I, I said to my partner, get the knife, get the knife, get the knife. He said, what knife? That's an amazing story. It, it's, and you know what? It's unfortunate. That's, that's a common story that happens throughout the police department. That's an everyday situation. And in most cases where people are in a violent struggle and particularly New York city council need to hear this and especially civilian complaint review board. In most cases, I forgot what the numbers are. I think it's 95%. 95% of people that are stabbed don't even know that they were stabbed. They thought they were punched because the adrenaline's up. And the, I mean, the body goes, it goes to a mode to protect themselves. But what's fantastic is that what you're explaining that the district attorney doesn't understand. And unfortunately right now, this phenomenon with body cameras is that we can look at a scene, not in real time. In hindsight, it's 2020, right? But we're looking at it frame by frame, slowing it down, looking at it at different angles. Exactly what you said. You saw it, but the, the police officer said, what knife? But if we had body camera, we could slow it down. You could say, well, you didn't see that? No, because we see things from different perspectives and different views, and our observation skills work differently under stressful situations. And they don't understand. This is a phenomenon that is just, it's just going completely in the wrong direction. It is no benefit to the doubt. Who has the best observation skills? New York City police officers. And they're not getting the benefit of the doubt to say, hey, my observation led me to believe that there was going to be an attack and some type of aggression. And I struck first to bring it to a quell. That's the art of de-escalation. Sometimes taking action, sometimes disengaging. In this particular case, I believe time was not on their side. Should have struck and took this, took this person into custody much earlier. Absolutely. I did, uh, I did, I did a roundtable with uh, some members of uh, Black Lives Matter. And, 
you know, they, again, they expect police officers to be perfect and police are this. And I just asked a simple question. I said, you respond to a 911 call. You get there, the door smashed in. The door, the door smashed in. You get there. There's a woman with a black eye. She's crying. She says, my boyfriend, my boyfriend just that I, we broke up with had just broken into my apartment and assaulted me. He's right there. You look, he's in the kitchen going through the, the kitchen drawer knives. This is a scenario that happened, by the way, but there were actually cops there to me. And I said, what's the de-escalation there? How do you de-escalate? What's your first move as a police officer? What do you do? Right? And nobody had an answer, right? Nobody had an answer for me. I mean, I'll tell you what I did. I, I respond to a job and I seen two cops there and I was a rookie and I seen two cops there telling the female that she would be arrested if she pressed charges. They would, they would cross complain at both of them. I walked over to the mail. He backed away from the knives. I told him, get the fuck away from the drawer. I walked over to the mail. I leg swept him, brought him to the ground and arrested him because that was the de-escalation. And I believe that was the proper de-escalation at that point, because I believe if I gave him time to get that knife, I probably would have ended up shooting him that day. I believe that if I, right, he's sitting there in the drawers, he's irate, he just broke into his ex-girlfriend's house, he just punched her in the face, now there's four cops there. And two cops, I don't know what the hell they were doing. Um, and I was a rookie, and, you know, I, that's the de-escalation to me. Get him, get him in custody as quick as possible. Nobody was killed. He was placed under arrest for burglary and assault three. Well, I'd like to go one, I'd like to go one even further and say this. Who, who is Alvin Bragg? What gives him the right to tell a police officer that that police officer was not in any type of danger? What gives him the right to tell that police officer that his observations were not accurate, that his belief that they were in danger after a 45-minute engagement with a potential adversary carrying a firearm? And what the public has to understand is every interaction that the police department takes part in on a daily basis is a gun run. Why? The police officers are bringing a gun to the scene. At any point, those guns can come out of those holsters very easily. It can be in the hands of someone else. Unfortunately, this is the phenomenon that we may happen if the police officers are not taking the proper action they need to take. But again, I say, who is Alvin Bragg to actually say the police officers did not feel that? Train? Are you saying that they're not trained professionals? And what he's saying exactly right what you said earlier. Police officers can never take any physical action anymore. They have to be struck first. And if they, they were, if they were to wait for a police officer to be struck first, this could lead to their demise. Maybe that's what they want. Uh, again, I think that I think that's exactly what they what the message is: is do not do not engage anyone. Do not engage anyone. And you know. Knocking Pat Hendry a little bit here, but where are the other police unions? Where's the sergeant unit? Sergeants are responding to these jobs. Sergeant was there, could have easily took the action. Where's the lieutenant's union? Where's the captain's union, right? All of us are being held to this impossible standard, yet we don't see a collective of them. And where are these two, you know, and I'm sorry that you guys were angered because we spoke our minds, but where are these two historic first appointments of the police commissioner and the first deputy commissioner? What is your opinion on these indictments and why have you not spoken out about them? And, and is that OK, Eric? What do you feel if you were the police commissioner, the first deputy commissioner? Do you believe that in this scenario you should be silent? <laughs> I'm glad you asked that, right? Because I myself received eight, eight 
administrative charges for the Civilian Complaint Review Board in my last year. I've talked about it in numerous podcasts. And the union said that they would speak to the first deputy commissioner to find out if he could get these cases dismissed. Who was that at the time? Ed Cabin. And I was told, I was told that he couldn't do anything. He was completely silent then, and he's completely silent now. You're the police commissioner. You're supposed to stand up for your for your cops at this point and say, how can they take action if they're held to this impossible standard? You just said, I love, I love what you said, impossible standard, because there is no standard, but he's not speaking up. You know what? I like to look back. I'm not saying he did everything correct, but Ray Kelly, as a commissioner, I remember on several occasions, particularly occasions, I remember there were police officers engaged into a, a violent confrontation in the Lower East Side. There was a, some type of rap concert. It broke out, and, and it was a complete violent struggle for police officers with deploying batons. It was an ugly scene, but it was necessary. And Ray Kelly spoke out. He said that police officers have a right to defend themselves. Why isn't Ed Caban speaking out and saying the same thing? The security guard in the store. The security guard in the store said the officer did nothing wrong, and he'll testify on the officer's behalf. Right? Why was he not brought up? Why was he not given media attention? Why did we, the police department and our unions, not go to this person specifically and get him airtime, including the police commissioner? I mean, look, I guarantee if you talk to the guy sergeant that day, he supports him. But who's he going to? I guarantee if you talk to the lieutenant, he supports him. I guarantee if you talk to the commanding officer, he supports him. He supports what happened. He knows that that officer did his job. He knows that officer. I guarantee if you talk to all those people, they support what happened and they do not agree with what Alvin Bragg's message is. But obviously, the police commissioner and the first deputy commissioner don't feel that way. Because if they did, they have the pulpit to come up and say, we do not believe that these indictments are correct. We're asking the DA's office to withdraw these charges. They're not correct. We are the law enforcement professionals. And by all means, assault three states this, and this officer did not commit this. Whether you believe his actions were proper or not, this is not in your court. I mean, that's leadership. So, but we're gonna tout these historic deployments. We're gonna tout their leadership I haven't seen any leadership. I haven't seen anything yet. And especially now, you're here to protect your people, right? What are the first thing you're told as a supervisor? You're there to protect your people, to keep them safe from themselves, to keep them safe from the public, to keep them safe from the district attorneys. But what, 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 what is the messaging here? Oh, yeah, he did his job, but I'm just going to stay quiet because you know what? Bragg's my partner, and I just had him. He was he was actually at my historic uh, appointment, and and he's my partner in this. How is he a partner when he's a, when he when he's crushing your own team and he's cr going after your whole mission? Because this goes back to what we we've been saying: weak, cowardice management. I don't even want to use the word leadership. Weak, cowardice management. I say it all the time: managers manage things, leaders manage people, and. I, Again, I don't see them managing people. I don't see them caring about their people standing up saying, this is wrong. How can police officers do this job? Ed Caban should say, I was a police officer when it was volatile and crime was even worse because that's what they always say. And I had to deploy strikes. I was the subject of a civilian complaint where I had to deploy strikes. How could my police officers bring the streets, bring the streets to a, a safe city 
the safest, biggest city in America if they can't defend themselves, which ultimately means they can't defend the public. You need to stand up and speak, speak to your men and women. Why? Because it's about self-preservation. It's about their own careers. John, you and I have said it, and it's completely obvious. There is some type of number somewhere for casualties of the police department. And this young police officer is a casualty. And they're willing to let him get terminated. And they'll just replace him. They'll replace him with a new police officer. And you know what they'll replace him with? Diversity, equity, inclusion, right? What's the other problem? And I'm going to say it. It may make people feel uncomfortable. This police officer is an alpha white male. And that's another reason why he's being targeted. Thousand percent. We haven't seen one indictment of, of, of we haven't seen one indictment of an on duty 911 call of a black officer. I agree with you. I think I think that there's a huge bias in not only in NYPD investigations for charges like criminal impersonation, like we see against Sal Greco, like we've seen historically against Italian members of the NYPD. Those criminal imperson those criminal association charges were met with high, high charges and threats of termination, where when we see black and brown officers being accused of criminal association, they're being charged with, they're given CDs, command discipline, they lose a half hour if they lose any other time, that's not just a warn and admonish. Um, so I do think there's a heavy, heavy racial undertone in all of this. There's a huge discriminatory bias in the police department as a whole with our appointments, not only of police commissioner and first step, but our appointments of commanding officers as well. Huge, huge discrimination process. Um, and we just had a, another appointment that actually went against the community council. Remember, community council was going to appoint the, 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 the commanding officer who they thought was best. But that just got overridden in Staten Island. And we just we just had somebody placed into a commanding officer position. Why? Because guess what? It was a first. Well, that's all it's about anymore. It doesn't matter about public safety. It's just about the first or something. Public safety has now taken a second seat back. It's more important that we have the first or something than public safety. Again, Edgar Ben, sh show us why you're the police commissioner. Yes, it's incidental. You happen to be the first Hispanic police commissioner of the New York City Police Department. It's a historic point in history. But what I want to see is a historic point in history is that you stand up for the cops and you stand up for what's right and say it's impossible for my cops to do this job to protect the city under these guidelines, under this guise, under this critique. It's just completely impossible. And until then, I'm going to give them a directive to stand down. I mean, what's the ultimate solution? How would Alvin Bragg expect the police officer to handle? What's the alternative? What how did Alvin Bragg expect the police officer to handle the situa situation? We always hear how the police officers acted improperly. They did not act in accordance with it, with the guidelines of, of, of particular police work. But we never hear solutions. What's the alternative here? Look, look after the Gardner incident. Still to date, NYPD never trained anybody how to take anyone down, including someone the size of Eric Gardner. No one's ever been trained. The only training video started with a male who was on his chest, laying on his chest with his hands behind his back. That's the only training that we've seen. Yet we've seen law that said, you can't, 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 but never says what you could do. And that's exactly why O.C. Che will never come on this podcast is because he can't even articulate his own thoughts because they don't care. This is a full progressive agenda to get rid of police 
as we know it, as we know it, right? As as, law doesn't even matter anymore. District attorneys are charging people for crimes that, but the incident doesn't match the crime, doesn't match what was written in the penal code to, to be that crime. I mean, this is a full, abol- full on abolish the police and gender in New York City and across the country. We've just seen uh, Governor Jay Pritzker um, out, of, out of Illinois. He just signed to let illegal aliens become police officers. <laughs> Again, that's just going to lead to more problematic issues. They're not vetted. They don't hold citizenship. I mean, this is just completely out of control. Lower the standards. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense. The police profession was a noble profession. It should be a profession where, where it takes thirty to fifty thousand potential applicants to get a pool of a thousand applicants because we want the best. We want people that are vetted. We want people that serve the communities. We want to hold them to the highest standards. We want. We don't want loose standards. But what's going? What's that going to lead to? Violent confrontations, potentially more deaths they talk about accountability how are we going to hold people accountable when they're not meeting the standards of what it takes to be a police officer in the united states of america in modern day policing in present day it's just impossible i'd also like to say what you said earlier about the crimes are not fitted look at the penal law here this particular police officer deployed one strike deployed one strike after an adversary had pulled away from him as he's trying to escort him out of the store, which led him to believe, based on the evidence that we know at this point, that he was going to get struck in the face with an elbow, right? Based on the observation that, that I, everything that I've read, what I've heard from the story, that's what we can believe. So there's no intention there that he's striking this person to cause injury. The other option for, for a misdemeanor assault would be a case of reckless endangerment. Something reckless. It's not. We know it's not reckless because the police officer just deployed one strike and stopped and halted from deploying any more strikes. So we're not even fit the penal law charge. Just exactly what you said. We're making up the charges. Why? Because it's a New York City police officer who's a white male. And. And we have a whole pool of candidates to replace them with now with the migrant crisis that Eric Adams and Joe Biden and Governor Kathy Hochul applauded, wanted, created, asked for. So now we have a whole new pool of candidates in New York. That whole bill is coming definitely to New York because, again, these progressives move in lockstep. It'll be the same in L.A. It'll be the same in New York. It'll be the same in Seattle. You don't need to be a citizen. You could be a police officer. I mean, I'll just take myself, for example, when I was illegally forced to retire from the NYPD, I decided I'm still young and I'm still in good shape and I could probably become a cop. But I had to move to Florida to continue to do that. And when I got here, I realized this is a completely different dynamic than how I grew up, what I know, how I police, the laws, the tactics, everything I know that I know to be true and that I, I, I've done and everything that my, my whole police knowledge is only based in New York City. My, my knowledge of the streets, my knowledge of where the hospitals is, uh, communities, uh, businesses, business owners, the people in the communities. I know this because of my institutional knowledge from living in New York City my whole life. I'm like, I don't believe that I could be 
I could be a decent officer and I could probably learn it in Florida, but I don't believe I would be anywhere near as effective as I was in, in the NYPD. I don't believe that to be true at all. Now we have someone from a different country who doesn't speak our language, who doesn't know our laws, and you're telling them, yeah, no, no problem. You could be a cop. You could be a cop. Don't worry about it. You could be a cop. You don't speak the language. You don't know the laws. You don't understand the Constitution. You don't know our training. You don't know the streets. You don't know the communities. You don't know the cultures. You don't know anything. Sure. Why not? <laughs> I, I can tell you right now, I, I, I agree with you 100%. I don't think I could be a cop in Venezuela right now. I don't know the nomenclature. I don't know the history. I don't know the culture. I don't know the land. I, I, yes. Do I know Venezuelans in America? Yes. I understand that culture to a point. But have I actually encompassed the the land in Venezuela? No. I mean, there's, a, there's an old saying. You know, uh, when you're in, in an area that's unfamiliar, you're the hick. So even though you and I grew up in New York City and, and we're savvy and we understand the streets, when we're in Florida, it's 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 uncharted territory for us. We're the hicks now. And what does that mean? You know, it's that's not our area. That's not known to us. We're, we're, we're not going to be savvy there. You have to understand the area. Now, I'm not saying that you have to grow up there, but you have to have some familiarity with it. And you have to spend a legitimate amount of time there. <laughs> exactly what he said. Study the history. You should know the history. You should know the Constitution. This is just completely ridiculous. It just shows that Eventually, they want to abolish the police. It, it's just completely laughable. They're just completely shitting on the entire profession. What do you think about the NYPD is now encrypting the radio? What do you think about that? I'm glad that you asked that. So I've been getting numerous questions about that. Honestly, I particularly don't care. You want to encrypt it or not encrypt it? I mean, but I don't understand how it's become a public safety issue at this point. You and I have been doing police work since 2004, 2005. We've been doing police work. And the entire time, there was no equipment. Everyone knows exactly what we're doing. They hear the radio. We have the Citizens app. We have Jose LaSalle, the founder of CopWatch, listen, uh, with scanners, listen to the radio the entire day. And it's never been a public safety issue. And if it was, we investigated. And usually these isolated incidents. Why is it a problem now? I'm curious, but I don't think I don't think that the radios have to be encrypted at all. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. It's never been a public safety issue. People listen as part of our transparency. I don't see it. I don't see why we have to have it encrypted. So we we do we did have some encrypted channels that we would use, right? Some, yes. We would use some encrypted channels because we would use it as a strategy, right? And hearing the radio could be an officer safety issue. But we've always had the ability to encrypt them. Why not? My opinion, because Eric Adams administration is the least transparent administration we've ever had in New York City. We've just seen all these people are dying in Rikers Island, right? All of these drug addicts. So in a four walls, right? Eric Adams can't keep you safe when you have limited rights in four walls. You're being assaulted. Drugs are coming in. They're ODing on fentanyl. They can't keep They can't keep people with no rights safe in, in, in a square box. But yet we're to believe that Eric Adams could keep us safe out in a metropolis. So in that four walls, people are dying at record number, right? People are dying all the time. So what's Eric Adams' way to solve that is 
we're going to get rid of Rikers. We're going to build four new jails across the city, and we're going to move them in there under the same leadership. And at the same time, we're going to stop reporting the deaths in custody in Rikers Island. No transparency, right? And here we go again. Response times are up big and people could hear it. Person called 911, they're waiting. Person called, still holding, holding this job, holding that job. But precincts are turning out three cars. They don't have enough people to get to these jobs. And what's the way to show that crime's down and to show that the NYPD is not the mess that it actually is right now? Turn the radio off. Don't let anybody hear it. Remove transparency. And that's my opinion of what Eric Adams is doing. I think it's a great assessment. Again, you know, I, I like to say, I don't think we need equipment. Again, certain channels, yes. Majority, a majority of the actual 911 system, I have no problem with complete transparency. It being an open channel, just as it's been since we got to the job, where, every, where Jose LaSalle can listen to 911 calls and our responses. The Citizens app has an opportunity to be aware of an accident or or a police officer respond to a gun. Maybe it's an area that you want to avoid or you're just curious. And however, there were, again, you're right. You know, especially as a special operations attendant, anti-crime sergeant, I would use those channels that were encrypted. Why? Because I was working with my team. Maybe we were doing a street narcotics enforcement unit operation where we're setting up on a particular, particular location and we're using particular tactics to, to gain an adversary advantage point on this particular suspect. That's something that the public should not hear. Uh, but as far, as far as our response goes, we don't need encryption on it. So I agree. We can have two or three channels that are encrypted, as we always had. But the actual 911 system should be open just as it was before. And I think your assessment of Eric Adams on this is fantastic. This is the least transparent administration we've ever seen. And by far, we are going to see it's going to be the most corrupt that we've ever seen as well. Oh, absolutely. I, I agree with that totally. I mean, I think I think this is I think people I think the average citizen should be up in arms now in the age of transparency. We're removing it in the age where now everybody sees everything. We're going to step back because I'm such a mess that I have to show it. And honestly, it's going to affect the crime numbers, too, because if you're not knowing what's coming over that radio, I guarantee those reported numbers, you're just going to see a miraculous drop in crime on the reported numbers. And, and it, 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 overall, I think it does affect public safety. I think it will greatly reduce public safety. The least transparency we have, the more power we're giving to an authority that it's in their best interest to not show the actuality of what's going on. And he said it from day one. He's fighting your perception. He's not fighting crime. He's not trying to make New York City safer. He's not trying to bring the quality of life up. He's trying to bring... He's trying to fight your perception of this progressive utopia. And uh, guys, I'm going to give a word from our sponsors, but I just want to remind you, these t-shirts are for sale at Myers. You can go to MyersUniform.com, give them a buzz. You get them shipped. Go to any of the Myers location. Ask for the finest unfiltered podcast t-shirts. They're, they're for sale at, uh, at Myers Uniforms. Big shout out to Myers. And also, I met with uh, Laidlaw Blue while I was in New York City. Great guys, if you're looking for an actual tailored financial plan, if you're getting ready for retirement or you're preparing for retirement or you want to start early, 
reach out to Laidlaw Blue. It's a personalized experience. Um, Henry Laidlaw was actually Abraham Lincoln's accountant. They've been in New York City since the 1800s. Laidlaw Wealth is a legit law firm, but they actually have a small section that goes that looks directly at NYPD pensions and investments to help you out instead of going to these big banks that aren't going to pay you any mind and don't care. Definitely reach out to John and Henry. Law enforcement professionals dedicate their lives to serving and protecting our community, but who's protecting their financial futures? That's where Laidlaw Blue comes in. Our wealth management platform is specifically designed for the law enforcement community. Laidlaw Blue is a division within Laidlaw Wealth Management run by retired New York City detective John McDermott. His status as a retired detective uniquely positions him to establish a deep connection between Laidlaw Blue and the law enforcement community. Our platform is easy to use and provides a range of financial services, including investment management, retirement planning, and insurance solutions. With Laidlaw Blue, you can secure your financial future and provide for your loved ones. Our team of experienced financial advisors understands the unique challenges and opportunities that law enforcement professionals face. We're here to help you navigate the complexities of financial planning, and achieve your goals. Laidlaw Blue, secure your financial future today. Book a meeting using the QR code displayed or call us directly on 888-901-BLUE. That's 888-901-BLUE. Right, awesome. I like to reflect back. I want, I want the cops that are watching this, and especially their families, because they're affected by this also. Ask yourselves, what is the ultimate goal for Alvin Bragg, for other progressive politicians to seek out the arrest of cops? Why is this phenomenon happening? You have to start scratching the surface. You have to read between the lines. And understand that all these layers that have been implemented and administered by these progressive politicians are to make it impossible, impossible for you to escape a situation. Once you become the target, the subject of any matter by a progressive politician, the ultimate goal is to seek your termination and to hit you with civil liability, make you unattractable for another police department and make you unattractable for any type of career to hurt the police officers in life and your career, particularly your entire life. And that's the purpose of the 58. That's the purpose of this overzealous civilian complaint review board. That's the purpose of removing qualified immunity. And to have, and if you're an alpha white male, to have you replaced by diversity, equity, inclusion. So understand, scratch the surface here. You have a police officer that is engaged in a 45-minute encounter with an adversary that leads to a strike. That police officer, we don't know why, eventually it will come out, but two years had elapsed before this police officer was charged and eventually indicted for a misdemeanor assault case, which we would never see on an everyday citizen. Again, it's my opinion and John's contention as well that this police officer will not be ultimately convicted in the court of law. 
But where he will be convicted is by the Civilian Complaint Review Board. And with that Civilian Complaint Review Board, he will not be indemnified. He will, he will face civil liability by his own pocket. In addition to that, his 50A will be stayed forever. And ultimately, the disciplinary matrix at Medicine's inception by former Commissioner Dermot Shea will lead to your termination. That's the ultimate goal, your termination and civil liability. So please pay attention. My, uh, my good friend's sister, she's a dentist. She was saying, I would let my son become a cop. And I said, <laughs> and I said I'm just going to give you the scenario. Your son goes to the police academy. He's a good kid. Never gets in trouble. He goes to the police academy. He becomes a cop. He goes out with the mindset to ensure public safety for all and do what not only the public, but he himself and his family expects the police officer to do. He goes out and does that. And he follows his training. He follows the law. And he follows NYPD policy. And by doing those things, he gets indicted and fired. Is that a profession? Is that what you want for your child? Because because of doing those things, doing actually what it's what we expect a police officer to do, forget being the most complained about cop. You're going to be former, disgraced, fired cop. And like you said, whether it's just you're the most complained cop or you hit in the back for years, every 911 call you go will build your disciplinary profile. And these things will stay for you the rest of your life. So at one point, I think I was saying, take the job if you have no better option until you could get something else. Go do what we've never seen before in history, become sanitation or whatever. But now I'm saying, don't ever come on this job. Until all this policies change, until 50A leaves you with you when you leave the job, until all of these things go away from you, don't ever come on this job because it will affect you for the rest of your life. For the rest of your life, Eric Dim, when he goes to, if he goes to apply for a job, I mean, actually, that's why we have, it's a good thing we have the finest unfiltered so that we could remain employed because nobody's going to hire us. Nobody's going to hire Eric <laughs> Because what if I put that on my resume? You're too effective at your job, bro. Sorry, you did your job. You were the moron who went out there to keep New York City residents safe. You went out there to get repeat violent offenders, get illegal firearms off the street. So shame on you. You know what? I say it all the time, and I'm going to say it again. The NYPD, as we speak, is the worst job in America. And again, it goes back to what I was saying on the earlier podcast for our viewers out there, if you have an opportunity, go to our YouTube channel and look at our shorts. And we did a quick segment, 60-second segment, of why, when you become a cop, you are now close to jail. That's a great point that you just made. John, I, I don't know who your friend is, but her son or nephew, what do you say? Is her son? She would recommend to take this job. So here we, we could have someone that never faced any discipline in school. Maybe they were never suspended. Never got a summons, never, never arrested their entire life. Just an all-out good person, a noble person, decides to become a New York City police officer and is now closer to jail than they were before. You become a New York City police officer, and based on the policies and what you're taught to, to take action 
to help in public safety can actually lead to your indictment, your arrest, your termination, your civil liability, and the stain of your 58 that completely destroys your life forever. Once you come to the police department, as we speak, the way the police department is now under this progressive politics in this wolf movement right now, it could completely change your life, a 180. You can go from a noble person to being a complete arch enemy of the, the public because you became a New York City police officer. Think about that. Again, I had to ask myself the same thing. Eight sets of administrative charges and civilian complaint review board. I was receiving the highest evaluations, getting awards, but somehow I became the villain. I don't want you to become the villain. So right now I'm telling you, do not take this job. Word of mouth is used for recruitment. It's also used for staying away. Do not take this job because I don't want to see you become the villain and get your indictment and lead to your arrest and your termination. It's, it's my contention now that the police commissioner, the first deputy commissioner, nephew Kaz, all of them, it's my contention now that they, they cannot do this job effectively in any rank. They cannot do it without having the New York City Mayor Eric Adams and the whole upper echelon at their back and at their side. I don't believe that even the people are in charge could effectively be a patrol officer. I don't believe they could effectively be a desk officer, a platoon commander, a commanding officer, because I don't think anybody can. I don't think anybody could do this job effectively because it's impossible. Like you said, it's an impossible standard. Uh, we've been going a while, but I want to bring up one thing. Uh, <laughs> the 311 machine, I used to joke all the time, 311 machine is the most important thing in the NYPD because it was always being harped on. You guys got to get the 311s. For those, for those of the public that don't know, if you don't live in New York City, the 311 machine is for non-priority jobs. 311, noise complaints, parking issues, etc. Um, currently, right now, we have a system in place where supervisors in the NYPD must respond and mark these jobs in 45 minutes. And they have 45 minutes to do so. And if they don't, the desk officer, whoever it may be, a sergeant or a lieutenant, will receive a command discipline. I believe it's a completely impossible standard. I don't believe that you could do it in a busy house when you're putting out three or four cars. What do, what do you think about that, Eric? I always find this pretty problematic. And I'll say this. I, I hate to give credit to the police department, but in many cases, the 301 system would come up in ComSet. And I do agree in some of the ideology that certain 301 complaints have a tendency to lead to violence and, and particularly shootings. For instance, 301 complaints of, of gambling. And, and unfortunately, in many cases, particularly working in housing, in New York City housing, the Lower East Side, and in the South Bronx, and also Staten Island, we would see violence surrounded by these, uh, these gambling incidents. We would see shootings and things like that. But, so I do understand the, the ideology of monitoring the 311, the 301 system. But the problem with that, I think there has to be better coordination where I think the 301 system should actually ref somehow be able to cipher through maybe some type of wording, cipher through in the system where that would be referred to 911. That would be an immediate response. 
But some of these noise complaints or some of these, you know, garbage in a particular area, some of these 311 complaints do not need an immediate response. Um, so I, I understand the crime fighting strategy, but this ideology in a diminished police department to try to enforce the, the supervisors to bring the, the, the response times down is going to hurt the response times down on 911 calls. And we're biting off more than we could chew. Do you agree on that? I, I just, I don't understand what the hierarchy is, right? Like you're putting the 311 machine in front of priority jobs, domestic violence, which you, by the way, you're not able to handle. You, you can't handle with the diminished police department now. So you're saying, oh, you must get these 311 jobs. Dude. Abolish the 311 machine, put it in the 911 machine. Why are they monitoring two different machines where they have to send a diminished staff to try to mix this big? Nobody could effectively do that. Even in a slow command, that would be very difficult and almost impossible to do what they're asking to do. And the message in the police department for years is, I don't care, kid, get it done. I don't care, get it done. Figure it out, right? That's always the messaging, right? No, we don't care. Stop being a baby, blah, blah, blah. But it's nonsensical. Abolish the 311 machine. Come up with another stupid unit to just handle 311 machines and let the cops do their job. Let them do what they need to do. Right. Because if you're going to tell me that and, and I agree with you, by the way, that that when we're not we're not going after these gambling calls or these noise complaints or these parties, I agree with you. Those will lead to more stuff. Right. But we can't handle the priority jobs. Right. Now. So what is the priority? What is the hierarchy? We don't know. Right. You're just throwing everything on these cops and they'll be blamed everything that happens when a shooting stems from that 311 job they'll be in dress uniform getting their ass chewed by the nypd chief of patrol chief shell saying you if you guys would have just got to this 45 did, 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 did what i said in 45 minutes even if it's not true even if that wasn't the case they had just gotten the job they're still going to get their ass chewed that you know it's there is no leadership there is no leadership this is management at its finest. This is compliant management. Yes, Eric Adams. Everything sounds great. Yes, Eric Adams. You're the best dressed. Yes, Eric Adams. You are the most handsome mayor we ever had. You are the smartest. You were the best cop, even though you only had 11 arrests that, that your sergeant made you take. You know, you and Pat Lynch were the best cops there ever were. You just never did the job. And now that you're not on the job, you could critique everything and tell everybody what it is. I think that I think the police department's absolutely lost. I think it's absolutely laughable. I think it's time to abolish the three one one machine, throw it into throw it into the nine one one, so that you could effectively manage the the workload. How I have two workloads, I have to effectively manage within time limits. How is that possible? I agree. We're saying the same thing. That's what I was saying before. If they're going to keep the 301 system, if they, if they are so stubborn that they won't remove the 301 system, then that system has to be able to decipher those gambling calls or something of a particular nature, maybe some keywords that sends it to 911 call for a level of priority. But some of these, you and I know from, 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 from the history of our work, some of these calls or some of these requests on 301 are absolutely ridiculous. So I, I do like what you're saying because you got me thinking. This ideology, if the 301 system was removed completely, would probably alleviate these ridiculous complaints because people have an outlet. 
they have an opportunity. You know what? Oh, I don't, I don't like the way this garbage looks in front of my house. So I'll just make a three or one complaint. Eventually, the police will come. Or maybe, you know what? I just want to hassle my neighbor. I don't like the way they park the car. So I make a three or one complaint. So now the police come. So I do like your ideology because if we remove this three or one system, we wouldn't have a place for these complaints to go to. So we'd probably alleviate a lot of these complaints. But these these noise complaints that may lead to some type of violence or these gambling calls, those need to immediately go to 911. So I'm going to have to agree with you on a the system it's, it, itself. I think it's a great assessment. Again, I, you know, and, and it's unfortunate, but sometimes, especially at the special operations unit, you would have to analyze these 301 calls, and we would find we would get uh, a lot of emotionally disturbed persons that were using these 301 calls because they were having uh, arguments with their neighbors. Again, they just wanted to use the police as a way to get at their neighbors for things that were not uh, that did not require an immediate response by the police, but they could also utilize the police to engage in their own debates or arguments with their neighbors, landlord-tenant disputes, things of that nature. So I think the 301 system is absolutely, uh, it's unnecessary. We don't need it. Most of these calls, if they are important, they should be deciphered to 911 anyway. Um, this whole idea of having this information system, it, it's a good idea. But again, it, the police department, we talk about reimagining and having things, uh, different responses social workers for emotionally, emotionally disturbed persons as such. Maybe for these type of complaints where a car is parked illegally, something that's a uh, low priority, maybe they can have civilian workers respond to these free work calls. Maybe something like that to alleviate from the police officers. But to have supervisors and, and work on these responses, I, I think it's, it, it's, it's an ineffective and, and, and inadequate plan. I think that the desk officer and the patrol supervisor in the NYPD is the most impossible job in America. I don't think that you could get, I don't think that you could effectively follow by the book. I mean, if you're in a slower house, you're lucky if you get handled 25 to 30 incidents. You're lucky. That'll be a slower night for you, right? 25 to 30 incidents per tour, right? That the two of you are going to deal with, whether it's a lieutenant or a sergeant, you're going to deal with. You have all of these concerns that you have to deal with and everything has time limits, million notifications. By the way, every job has about 50 steps to it. I mean, you take a missing, you take a suicide, <laughs> you take a burglary. Yeah, and, and what are the supervisors doing? They're verifying that all of these notifications are made, that everybody responded. You're in charge of other units' response when half of them are just sitting on their, their, with their hands on, underneath them. You're making all of these notifications. You're generating all these reports while you're monitoring your own staff and making sure everything's going on. And you're making sure that 911 machine is running and the cops are getting to the job and you're constantly switching personnel because now you have so little staff. You're starting with four cars. You're probably down to three before you even before you even handle one job. You're probably in backlog holding 10 jobs from the previous four. I mean, and now you're going to say, but yeah, but make sure, but make sure every, every, every 311 call gets a supervisor to respond. It's handled in 45 minutes. I guarantee actually the amount of times that it's actually done is, is probably less than 5% that it's actually handled that way because it's impossible. I mean, because you have to, as a supervisor, you have to go to real jobs, DV incidents, missing children, burglaries, assaults, violence, 
EDPs, emotionally disturbed people. You don't have time to go to a 311 parking job as a sergeant. And that's if you're in a slow command. Imagine if you're in the 7-5. There's no <laughs> way. So what are they doing? They're not marking it properly. And, and it's not being done. And what? The, the, the desk officer is going to get a CD. But maybe maybe the chief of patrol likes him. So he won't because we know him. Because, you know, I was a CO of that command. I won't give him a CD. I'm just going to rip him out. But honestly, it, it shouldn't be done at all. And you guys definitely shouldn't be fudging numbers or doing anything that they told you. If you cannot do it, properly document why you were unable to do that properly documented and i used to get i used to get i used to love when we get a new xl you have to do uh you got to do um checkpoints i'm like checkpoint i have two cars how am i doing a checkpoint when there's when there's car with there's constant jobs coming over so i would just say yeah and never do it yeah okay and that's another thing oh checkpoint must be done this time and that time okay yeah sure okay what, what like this is this is what it's leading to nonsense complete utter nonsense and again it's the cops fault that climbs up, that the response times are down, that the 311 machine's not being handled properly. I got a funny story. I, I'm actually laughing thinking about it right now, but especially with 301s. I mean, you talk, we talk, like, I just want to circle back. We talk about there's not enough cars right now. We know it's the, mission, the police department. I mean, I have to place with cops all the time. Some of these heavy precincts, these busy precincts, they're only turning out four cars. Four patrol cars are working in a busy precinct. That means eight cops. There's two cops. Eight cops are working in a busy precinct respond to 911 calls. And they're expected to respond to these 311 calls. It's just, we're biting off more than we could chew. This whole idea of doing more with less, some of it is just impossible. But I remember being a brand new rookie. And you know, when you're a brand new rookie, sometimes you work the telephone switchboard. They call it, listen, for most of the cops that watch this, but if, it, if you're not NYPD, we have a lot of viewers outside the police department, it's called a TS operator. And you'd work the telephone switchboard. And exactly that, you would fend all the phone calls that come into the precinct, and you would send them out to the proper location. And also, you would monitor the 301 screen. John, do you remember this? <laughs> I knew. Yep. But I'll never forget. So I'm working in the 112 precinct. I know we always hear the jokes about Staten Island, but the 112 is a busy house. It's busy as hell. And even back then, I think they would turn out nine, ten cars, and it wasn't enough. And now it's even busier. You tell me, you've been standing on the crimes on the rise at the Minnesota Police Department. I can only imagine that. But I'll never forget, I had this 301 complaint, and it was on, on Barker Street, which is by the uh, West Brighton Projects. And it was about a, a legally parked car. So I remember I, I reached out to the, uh, the sector on the radio. I had them 10 1, right? That's the transmission, which means they had to call the priest and speak to me. And I'll never forget, I told they were, they were sector Mike. It was these two crusty old cops. I I forgot their names, but if they ever watch it, they know who I'm talking about. And I remember, I was like, brand new, right? So you're kind of meek when, you, when you're new as a rookie. And I'm like, listen, there's this, there's this legally parked car at, at Barker Street. I think it was like 55 Barker. And I'll never forget, he was like, listen, kid, you know what the fuck goes on there? He's like, 90 yellow. Like, he hung up the phone. I was like, wow. So... And that was back then. It was a funny story. This was brand new. And back then, they didn't have time to respond to 301 calls. And that's something that sh it shouldn't be the response of the police officers anyway. If there's a legally parked car, the sheriffs can handle that. Maybe a civilian worker in, in that particular case, especially now in a diminished for the police department. So I'm with you. Let's just completely remove the 301 machine. It's unnecessary. And for those two cops out there, if you remember you were the second Mike back then, 
I was brand new, but you had me laugh, and I appreciate it. It was a good day. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then you have all the, the guys that are in charge of other things, right? Like the domestic violence sergeant. He has all his reports that needs to be done and his whole thing, dealing with all that stuff. But he's on the desk, too, and he's dealing with everything else, too. It's just more or less. The, the, we don't know we don't have a crime sergeant anymore, but whatever you want to call them, the community response team. Everybody has their own functions, and now they're all mixed up, and everyone's just dealing in in an impossible job right now. The leadership isn't there. This is a complete management style. I personally believe all of these appointments should – Eric Adams should be a one-term mayor, and they should all be – Sent the door. They should all be given the ticket, the pink slip. Honestly, honestly, they should. I, I would wipe. I would wipe the floor with all of them. See you guys later. Thank, thank you for having. You're all, you're all demoted back to the rank of captain. Appreciate you. You, you know what's impressive, and it's scary at the same time. And it's, it, it's, it's really impressive. The police officers, the sergeants, the lieutenants, the, the these first line supervisors, their hearts are in the right place, and, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Let me stop at that for a second so I can just give an analogy so people can understand. Imagine today, John, you and I, we get a job working at AmeriExpress. AmeriExpress, credit card company. They give us our desk. They give us a handbook. They go, listen, here's all the rules and the policies to the company. And we look at that handbook, right? And if you violate, let's say, Five policies in that day, you will be fined. You could lose vacation days. It could lead to your termination. But you need to violate these policies in order to do your job. Would you take that job if you had an interview at AmeriExpress right now? Like, listen, here's your handbook, but you have to violate these policies in order for you to get your job done. Would you take that job? No. But you wouldn't take the job, right? But this is the job that we do. Neither would I. But yet... For my viewers out there, New York City police officers, sergeants and lieutenants, every day, day in and day out, if, if they sit back and think about it, it probably would make their stomach, it would probably get a knot in their stomach because every day, including me and John, we violated, knowingly violated the NYPD patrol guide and policies on a daily basis throughout the entire day. Why? Because our heart was in the right place to get the job done to administer and help in public safety. Because if you actually follow the New York City Patrol, the NYPD Patrol Guide, and all the policies, public safety would take a seat back and you would never be able to do the job. It's an impossible job. It, it's such, it's so scary when you think about it, John. At any point, if we wanted to weaponize that disciplinary matrix and terminate any sergeant right now who's on patrol in New York City, it could be done. Within five minutes, we could find something that will lead to the termination. And they are actively and knowingly violate that patrol guide with the heart in the right place to get the job done. Absolutely, because it's an impossible standard. Like we just said, this is just another thing. I mean, I could go for hours on, on all of the nonsensical things that you have to do that you be all oh, you're going to get a CD and in time frame you have to do them. But this is just another thing on top of that when your job had, had became impossible. And I got one better for you. Every police officer knowingly violates that patrol guide every day as well to to provide public safety for New York City. Because if they followed the patrol guide as well, from the minute they were assigned that RMP or a radio motor patrol car, that car, all of the checks that they're required to do in that car when they're holding five jobs, 
They can't do that. They would never leave the precinct. You would never leave the precinct in your <laughs> hour tour if you followed that patrol guide. The patrol guide is set up to when they need to come after you, they're going to come after you. And that's a great point. No other, there is no other organization in the world that does this to their employees. And you know, it gives you the sense that everything's wrong, right? Oh man, I wish I could have got to that 311 call earlier because then the shooting wouldn't have happened. But even though I was on a DOA and I left it to go to a 34 domestic violence call and I was by myself because my partner made a collar back there and he was arresting and all of these little ins and outs that you did, but somehow the cop feels responsible for that shooting. Somehow the sergeant feels responsible, the desk officer, the platoon commander, the CO, everyone's blaming themselves for the crime that's committed. And you have some chief in one police plaza with his with his minions saying, yeah, they would have just went. I don't get it. I don't get it. I keep telling these guys if they would have just went to that, if they would have just went to that 311 call, this would have never happened. Now I got to hurt these guys who are out there doing their job. It's an impossible standard. They're beating these guys down to the ground. And this is why everyone's leaving the NYPD. You know, it's a, it's a great point also. We could also reflect on when cops have when cops get charged for perjury, it's because of the NYPD patrol guy. In most cases, what I saw in my career, when cops lie at a grand jury or they lie to the district attorney about something, it's because they violated the patrol guide to do their job to help in public safety. So they they had to lie about that so that they could actually continue with their arrest because they're more afraid that they lied about some NYPD procedure or patrol guide. And, and I could just say, I remember there was this cop I used to work with, phenomenal cop. Guy was afraid of getting guns, afraid of getting drugs. But because he was working in housing and they put so much pressure that he had to make the arrest on housing to show an impact on crime, that he lied about where the actual arrest taken, the actual location, so that he could, so he could show that the impact was in a particular location. Phenomenal drug arrest he made, the right perpetrator, but this particular cop ended up getting charged from the district attorney's office because he lied about the arrest location. And, and I mean, that's one particular case, but I've seen cases where police officers have lied about how they got to some particular location or how they did some job and eventually lead to arrest because they violated the patrol guide to do their job. Because every day, exactly what we said, police officers and lieutenants violate the patrol guide to do the job to aid in public safety. Exactly what we said. You wouldn't even be able to leave, leave the precinct if you actually followed that patrol guide. If you actually did the, the checks on the car that you said, check the condition, check the gas, nobody does that. You get in the car, you drive away, you, you got your first call before you're even walking outside the prison. Yeah. And, and you know, it's the, the, the pressure is tremendous. And that's same for crime reporting, right? Commanding officers putting pressure on young cops, on sergeants, on lieutenants to misclassify things or to look at things as not a felony so they don't take numbers. So it doesn't show a rise in crime. And what happens when that becomes uncovered? 
when somebody's gunning for that precinct or your spot or something? What happens when that you see sergeants, lieutenants, and cops getting jammed up, fired, possibly charged, um, and you see absolutely nothing happen to the commanding officer who did it, and you see absolutely nothing happen to the borough commander who did it. And it's my contention that if the precinct's fudging numbers and it's shown, the commanding officer should be fired, arrested, charged, because they are the ones building this atmosphere. This is the atmosphere they created. Um, but yet, you, again, you see cops just trying to do the right thing, trying to make their boss happy, and it's got to stop. You know, There needs to be transparency in the police department, and integrity, integrity needs to come back because it's gone. It is absolutely gone. Integrity needs to come back. If you want the respect of the public, you want the respect of people, you want the respect of perpetrators, we need to have honest, real conversations and start talking to perpetrators, start talking to the community, start telling the truth to our cops and defend when they're right. Like right now, Officer Provenzano did nothing wrong. The police commissioner and the first deputy commissioner should be using their pulpit to declare that. And they're not because there is no integrity in either of those offices. Weak characters or management. Again, I won't even use that term leadership. leadership. Leaders are supposed to stand up for their people, especially when they're right. They're supposed to stand in the face of adversity. Even if Ed Caban is going to shed a negative anatone towards himself from the community, if they see him in a different light, a different perspective, because he stands up for this particular police officer who, has to, who happens to be white, and he's a Hispanic, the first Hispanic police commissioner. That's his job. His job is to stand up for his police officers when they're right, even if he gets heat from it. That's his job. He's supposed to defend the public. He's supposed to deal with the community. He's the one who's supposed to go through the hard time, explain to the public what's going on. He's supposed to be able to face adversity. He's the police commissioner. And it's just, we don't see that. Will we ever see it? I don't know. I hope we see it in our lifetimes, but we're not seeing it right now. We're not going to see it on that Eric Adams, that's for sure. The police, the commissioners run their agencies. I run the commissioners. A report came out. Laura Kavanaugh, FDNY commissioner. Um, we've they've had several chiefs that want to be demoted. They want out of the rank. They don't want to. They don't want to be like three star chiefs, like chief of patrol. They want to go back down. They want to become captains. They just want to go back and fight fires. They don't want to be in the political nonsense. They don't believe in the direction of the job. And she has been unable to demote them, according to the New York Post, because she's awaiting the approval of Philip Banks. So obviously, she's not the first female fire commissioner. Key Chan Sewell wasn't the first female police commissioner. Eric Adams is the fire commissioner. Eric Adams is the police commissioner, or we could say Philip Banks, the unindicted co-conspirator, is the commissioner of all of these agencies. That's what we're seeing. Um, it just it just shows exactly, and they did that to detract from the bad news. They didn't want these 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 uh, these fire chiefs to step down of the bad news of why they did it. It was a public it's a publicity stunt to hold them in these ranks because they wanted to detract from why Key Chan Sewell stepped down. Obviously, Eric Adams' administration does not respect his appointments of the first women. You know what? It's all starting to make sense. Mayor Eric Adams sees himself as a king on a throne. 
not, not a mayor who's serving people. He sees himself as a king. I mean, the things he said has completely been indicative of that. So what do we know from that? What do we know about a, a monarch, right? We could, we, could, we could actually compare to the New York City Police Department, actually the fire department as well, the agencies of New York City right now to the, the politics and the monarch of England, right? In England, we have a prime minister. We actually have politicians who run the government in England. But then you have the king and queen who are an image of the politics. They, don't, they take part in some of the politics, but they're not actually part of the government. It's more of an image, the king and queen. So that's exactly, you know what? So maybe Mayor Eric Adams has been telling us the truth the entire time. He's right. There, he has an image. And he, his image is Ed Caban is the first Hispanic police commissioner. Tanya Kinsella is the first female black first deputy commissioner. Kavanaugh is the first female commissioner of the fire department. But they are just figures. Because the real politics is the prime minister. And who's the prime minister here? Mayor Eric Adams and Philip Banks. So now I see. He's been telling the truth the entire time. Yeah, I mean, it's a mess, dude. The police department's a mess. The entire city's a mess. Um, you know, there's an unlimited range of things that we could talk about it. But I think we should save it for other episodes going to hit you guys you know i appreciate you being in thailand um and coming out all hours of the night to uh to bring reporting guys if you appreciate us if you like our content please like and subscribe wherever you watch or listen you know where you know we're uh you know me and eric spend a lot of time a lot of waking hours uh making these shows we don't edit anything we do have uh just right pd paul manicone who will be editing some of our our, our podcasts not every single one of our YouTube videos will be edited depending on the time frame and stuff like this. This is an important one. I think we got to get it out there. Um, but, you know, I appreciate you guys tuning in. Any support that you could offer us so we could keep bringing in these shows, we appreciate it. I like to say this, especially to the police officers uh, out there. You work hard. Uh, you are making a substantial salary now that you have the increase with this, with this particular contract. Treat yourself. Uh, don't, don't just isolate yourself to New York City. There's 193 countries uh, on this on, on Earth. Spend some of your money to travel. I think traveling is very important to, to character and understanding people. Uh, I'll spend some. Uh, I'm going to spend some quite some time in Thailand and, and in Asia. I'm going to be traveling here for a couple of months. You should spend your money to travel, get to know different walks of life, different type of people. Sometimes uh, people from New York City have this tendency to believe that it's a center of the universe and it's the only place in the world. And yes, it's a very important part of the world uh, and it is an epic center of the world. But there is a whole nother world out there. There's so many countries that have to offer. Get yourself out there. Uh, see other things. Ex expose yourself to different food, different lifestyles, and, and appreciate different cultures. Uh, despite the fact that uh, some want to believe that John and I are state brutalizers and uh, white supremacists, we're actually multicultural New York City kids, and we like to see the world, and you should see the world too. I want to thank everyone for taking this ride with us and taking this venture and exploring these options. It's it's very important that we explore these options. Opposition meets opportunity, and understand what's going on. 
when it comes to policing in the modern era in America, and particularly the NYPD. You have to scratch the surface and see what's really going on here. Understand, you are a target right now. This is the worst job in America. You have to keep your options open, and you have to protect yourself. Again, uh, these shirts that you see we're wearing here, 265 Police Live, support us. The shirts will be available at Myers. There's three locations, Staten Island, Brooklyn, and the Bronx. So, again, uh, we appreciate it if you're supporting the T-shirt and you're showing some support for the podcast. We support each other. 265 Police Live brought to you by New York's Finest Retired Unfiltered Podcast. John McCarry, thank you for always taking this venture with me, brother. Uh, we forgot, wait, we forgot one important thing. It's the end of oh. July, the viewer of the month. The oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, that's a point. The most engaged viewer of the month, we forgot. Vic Stizzy on Twitter, at V-I-C Stizzy. You are the viewer of the month. You are our most engaged follower on Twitter. We appreciate you. I appreciate all the hate. I appreciate the, the, all the stuff you say about me and Eric. I mean, unfortunately, none of it's true, but we still appreciate you anyway. Keep it up, Vic. Great job. Great job. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Vic, I, I tell you, he makes some real zingers. Uh, I, I just want to tell the public, I, I didn't know this, but the. The new standoff, the new uh, way of calling someone out is telling them that their DMs are open. So uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a me method of intimidation, but he's been threatening John and I that his, you know, when he gets mad and upset, his DMs are open. So I'm new to the social media world. So be careful out there. Vic Stizzy calls you out. <laughs> his DMs are open. Oh, uh, and uh, to nephew Kazi, we're up here in the bleaches now. You're a hundred percent right. You have the pulpit. You're, you are a deputy commissioner now. If you feel that any of this stuff is misinformation or we have misrepresented anything in this administration, in Uncle Eric or Uncle Jeff's, uh, uh, the way that the, the police department's being run, you're more than welcome to come on here and have a civil discussion with us, all right? So that's it, my friends. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in.